Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. I am Sai and with me as always is the incredibly hungover after his birthday celebrations, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we today, buddy? I think I might be dead. <laughs> I'm Two not, days I'm, partying, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sunday, Monday with with family and, and friends, and I'm I'm not a young man anymore. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting my I'm hitting my mid I'm hitting my, my mid thirties, and I can't do two days on the bounce. It's it's killing me. Um, I've only literally only got out of bed for food and to do this today. Um, yeah. So well done, mate. You are you are the you are one of two reasons that I've put trousers on today. Ah, oh, see, that's, that's, that's me made, mate. That's me made. You don't get better than that for me this week. I'm, I'm the same as whatever you have for breakfast. I'm on that level. <laughs> I, had a, I, had too, I had too many jokes there about putting things in my mouth and my brain just farted. So you're getting off the hook with uh, with a lot today, mate. To be honest, because I won't be as uh, I won't be as quick witted as usual. See, you told me about all these notes you made for this episode, and I'm literally banking on you to talk through it this week because all I'm, as I said to you when we were messaging back and forth, all I'm going to be saying is just that, that was amazing, that was amazing, that was amazing because I bloody loved the show we're covering this week. Well, I found out watching this show that I was I was making my notes, and as I do, I quite like to type a lot of it verbatim. Um, I was typing it before it was said. Uh, I've watched this episode okay. that many times, so I think I can uh, I think I can muddle through. Yes, no worries. I mean, we should sort of, I suppose, let everyone know what it is exactly we're covering this week. Due to, I was going to say a technical issue, but it's like due to a non-technical issue, an issue that is non-technology, technology, sorry. Uh, we're not going to be looking at the Dalek invasion of Earth this week that we initially are supposed to be looking at. That was the selection made last week for us to, to cover this week. We're going to skip a week. Purely because Dalek Invasion of Earth was, I think, six episodes long. So plenty of, plenty of note making, plenty of time watching it, all prepared, ready to go. And then I had to postpone. I had to postpone again. And we kept having issues popping up with regards to when we can record. Yeah, Before life, life gets in life gets in the way though, and that's and that's perfectly understandable. Yeah, but yeah, why, yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you tell our lovely listeners what the latest bull, <laughs> bullshit well, was that you did? This is the thing. We were about we, we had it set for a time when we could actually record the episode in time for this week. I've not seen it in a long time because you know it, it had been literally weeks trying to arrange us to sit down and record this. I I couldn't find my notes, so I had a rummage round, and it basically turns out that and Magsy, our good friend Mister Mags, he's going to love this, and he's going to rip me to pieces on chain wrestling on Monday. I can feel it coming. I make all my notes on paper and pen. Okay, like that's the how old I man that you are. Exactly, exactly. I don't put them up on the on the on the on the on the, uh, the computer, the laptop, whatever in front of me. It's all paper and pen, and I've thrown that notebook away because it was full. But the notes in it were stuff I still needed. So, you're gonna have to start start like tearing a corner off the page when you're done with them. Yes, exactly, mate, exactly. So I'm gonna have to rewatch Dark Invasion of Earth this week for us to get that done in time for next week. I think, Dan. How does that sound? That sounds good to me, mate. It's just, oh, it's just funny. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm completely so, understanding. You know what? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible with everything. I've always, I've, you know, we can make time. It's all fine. But the fact that you threw your notes away just tickled yeah. the piss out of me. I had like four or five pages as well because it's not, a, it's not a short story, is it? Dark, dark no. it's, it's quite a bit to it. So I had quite, a, quite a few notes made, and yeah. I'm gonna have to rewatch it and go through it again because I can't remember. There's no chance I can remember what I watched because it was a couple of weeks ago and I've slept since then. 
So, you know, it's it's just gone from my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't remember a lot of what I did yesterday, but there's different reasons for there's that. There's reasons for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so what we are doing this week is we are kind of skipping a week with regards to Classic Who, going back into New Who again with one of Dan's choices, and then we're going to go back to the Classic Who episode that should have been being covered this week, next week on our Dot Who podcast. So, Dan, do you want to tell us what it is we're looking at this week? Yeah, in this wibbly-wobbly switcheroo episode, we're going to be looking at the 2013 50th anniversary special, Day of the Doctor. Now, I picked this as a little bit of a cheat to uh, to balance things out because it features uh, the War Doctor, played by John Hurt, which is sort of the forgotten uh, regeneration of uh, of the Doctor there. Uh, but it just it balances it out nicely to uh, to give us, uh, I think, uh, seven each. Yeah. Seven episodes yeah, each. So, yeah, I thought we'd go that way. And we get bonus uh, bonus Tennant and, uh, and Matt Smith as well. And Clara, we'll just get it out. We'll, right, we'll just get it out. The, we'll just get it out of the way now. At the start of this episode, Clara's uh, teaching. Uh, she's at Coal Hill School, which is a great touch because that's the same yep. school as from the very first episode in 1963. Clara, Clara gets a call from a, a this guy who sort of frantically runs in, looking quite worried and upset uh, because uh, Clara's doctor's called uh, and he's not quite understood. And she hops on a motorbike and drives off. Something about the sight of uh, a woman on a motorbike, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, well, Especially just, Clara. just Clara on about what, yeah, just, ah, oh, Clara, there we go. There's a few other um, sort of little touches back as well in that opening scene um, for this episode as well, wasn't there? The, the show actually starts, as we cover all the time, we look at the theme music, the entrance to the episode. The show actually yeah. starts with the, the black and white footage from... 1963 in the original episode and so on. I love that. That was really cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. The uh, the, the paired back intro that we've uh, uh, that we've sort of seen before and the original to mark the 50th anniversary, sort of you know where the where it started and where it is now. Uh, yeah, lovely little touch. Really enjoyed it. Definitely. And then, and when it starts as well, the first scene we have is a policeman walking past the scrapyard. Uh, I am Foreman is on the board, and that's how the very first episode, An Earthly Child, started way back in 1963. And the scrapyard is obviously where the Doctor's TARDIS was in the very first episode of Doctor Who. So that was a really cool touch as well. And then we have the school itself is also the school that the Doctor's granddaughter Susan is attending in the first episode. It's the same school. Yeah. Well, okay. proof you don't listen to me. I said that before. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, it's all brilliant I, I didn't know sort of the footage from the from the original and how that started but i'm not surprised i did mean to look it up as well because that um that name of the uh the ironmongers or whatever it was rang, uh, did ring a bell mm. but uh yeah i'd forgotten that but uh yeah class as well. oh go on then there's another I, I didn't notice this until I started looking into bits and bobs for you know us sitting down to record today. Apparently, there's there's a thing made about the time that Clara leaves the classroom. She jumps on the motorbike and leaves, and mm. we scan past the clock or we look at a clock very briefly, and it's 16 minutes past five. And apparently, I, I I didn't even twig, but what I've read this afternoon before sitting down with you today, Dan, is that that was a supposedly a, a, a real subtle throwback to the first episode. Because it aired at it, it started its broadcast at sixteen minutes past five. It came on air like a minute and a half late, apparently, the oh, very right. first episode. So that was like a throwback to that Saturday where it came on at sixteen minutes past five. Apparently, I didn't pick up on that myself, but it's what I've read 
since you know just going mm. after watching the episode and going through notes before we sit down today i really like that I, I, yeah. yeah that that one bypassed me as well as many as times as i've seen this i've never known that significance so that I was love uh, stuff pretty like cool. i love it i love all that sort of little touches to the past and the throwback stuff and all that it's it's like I, I really really enjoy it anything that references you know past episodes and past stories i think it's great and we get a few oh, well, in this don't we yeah i've got a really good one that i want to come on to as well when the when the story dictates that we talk about it because uh, okay there's something that i was aware of but that goes far far deeper than i ever than i ever knew um but we'll get to that um, uh, okay <laughs> I can see the look in your eyes. Like, what, what, what is it? Interesting. Sorry, there's one more. Sorry. Oh, God. Ian Chesterton. Yes. The, the main guy, uh, the main guy, the, he was supposed to be like the, the action guy in the original TARDIS crew, I guess. Uh, he, he, Barbara, Susan, and we'll see this in, in next week's episode, uh, Dark Invasion of Earth, because it's the original four people on the TARDIS, I guess, the Doctor, his granddaughter, and then the two teachers, Barbara and Ian. Ian Chesterton is listed as the school governor on the sign for the school as the camera just pans past it. Oh, nice. It's clever little things like that, man. I get such a kick out of that shit. Yeah. God, he must, he must be knocking on by that point. I'm not 100% sure that they actually got back to Earth in their own time, you know. Well, they must have done because he's he's a school governor. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because maybe that's just literally that. It's like I, Chesterton, it says. So maybe it's just like a a, a little clever little touch for people like you and me who are proper geeky and get a kick out of that. But I don't think they got back to their own time. I think they left off somewhere else. But I could be completely wrong. I'd have to go and check that out. But I prefer to think that they did. I think that's that signs enough for me to say, yeah, they got back. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Ah, so then, this episode, as I said, I'm going to be incredibly positive all the way through, mate. I thought this was bloody brilliant. Same. I absolutely love it. I love these crossover episodes where you get past doctors and current doctors and all of that. Like I said, the, up until we started the podcast, the only real sort of thing I'd seen of old who was the three doctors and the five doctors. Mm. So I'm all for the crossovers. Um, but I just I love the start where Clara just rides the motorbike straight into the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, that it's is just quite cool. cool. It's just a bit, get, just badass. You don't get a lot of that. I mean, again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of classic Who here, so I don't know if it's different in New Who. Again, I've seen a great deal of New Who, but when it aired and not watched it back, so this is why, for example, this one I, I can remember sort of jumping ahead a little touch. I suppose but I can remember the Doctor looking old in this as he's aging and so on. I can remember there being multiple doctors and I can remember other moments as well that I did enjoy, but the majority of the episode I, I, I was foggy on and I kind of remember not enjoying it first time round, but I can't tell you why, because it was quite a few years ago. So yeah. I, 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 can't, I can just remember seeing the doctor as the old man in the episode and it, I just didn't enjoy that aspect of it. But again, I, I don't know if a lot of this happened in, in New Who or not. In Classic Who, you didn't tend to get the outside of the TARDIS and the inside of the TARDIS kind of lining up, so to speak. So mm. she rides the motorbike, to Clara, sorry, she rides the motorbike straight into the TARDIS. And it's almost in one shot, and you can almost see the inside of the TARDIS as she's approaching mm. and, and so on. You didn't really tend to get that in Classic Who. For a while, even, when the door opened in Classic Who, you never saw outside. It was just on the monitor. And that was done purely to save money, so they didn't have to build a set and so on. 
So that was quite interesting for me, the aspect of the, t- the, the, the bike in one motion, so to speak, going from outside to in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think it's the um, it's just the technological advances, to be honest, because mm. we've seen it right for, uh, in you who we've seen it since the first Eccleston series. Um, Rose, Mickey, and uh, and Rose's mum were trying to open a panel of the TARDIS so they could get it to something inside, and she uh, Rose looked into the the heart of the TARDIS and you know got back to the Doctor and all the rest of it. But they showed uh, a chain being attached to Mickey's mini. And he's trying to drive away and pull the okay. you know, pull the thing off and all that, and then Rose's mum comes along with this big recovery truck and all the rest of it. So it does happen now and again, but this is by far the best sort of version of that, where you see Clara actually drive into it in in sort of one yeah. one motion. That is definitely the best. Although one th- one episode that did do it well was um, uh, Flatline, which is a Capaldi okay, episode where something's messing with the uh, the dimensions of the TARDIS. And it turns out it's two it's two dimensional beings trying to get into the three dimensional world. Okay, but it's messing with the dimensions of the TARDIS. So it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller on the outside. So the the door is like often opening, and you can just see like at one point Capaldi can only just get his arm through. Then at one point <sighs> you can only so just bad, see his actually. eye, and Clara's carrying it around in her handbag. Oh, that does ring a bell, actually. That does again. Like I said, I've seen. Pretty much all of New Who, but there's big chunks of Matt Smith. I think I have not seen, to be fair, but the majority of it I have seen. But it's not until you point things out that I remember. <laughs> it's all just stuck on a tab in the background, just running away, yeah. waiting to be uh, to be brought to the front <laughs> on Windows ninety eight or something, just whirring away in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coal, coal fired. Yeah. <laughs> but one uh, thing I do like on this as well, speaking of the TARDIS and the way it moves and whatnot, is. They actually just it just gets picked up by a helicopter, and yeah. off it goes. Now, I started think I started overthinking it. I was like, "What? It's an entire dimension in a box. How does it get picked up? You know, surely it must weigh a ton or something daft." And then I just realised, Dan, you're overthinking it. They've already put it on like the back of lorries and all sorts. So, mm. what's your problem? What's my problem all of a sudden with a helicopter picking it up and just yeah, enjoy the a- comedy of Matt Smith hanging off it? I think there's a Sylvester McCoy story where it actually at one stage gets put on the back of almost a, a go-kart kind of effort, like a golf <laughs> buggy, and that manages to drag it around. Is that Paradise Towers, maybe? There'll be people listening to this screaming, saying, no, I'm wrong, it's this story, it's that story, whatever. But in my head, I can picture it on the back of this kind of golf buggy kind of effort, driving around an indoor kind of complex. But I'm sure we'll come to that in future seasons, Dan. Yeah. Yes, yes I need to will. see that. Or Paradise Towers. No, just the the TARDIS on the back of a golf cart. Being driven oh, around. right, okay. Yeah, it sounds like something out of a parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> we get quite a few, I suppose, faces from previous episodes as in this as well, don't we? Obviously, Rose Tyler is in this, but not as Rose Tyler, I guess. Yeah, um, we'll we'll come to a later. But she, uh, Billy Piper, pops up as. Uh, the sort of the, the conscience and, and the user interface of the moment, which is you know the big weapon that uh, that the Doctor steals, and we get we get recurring characters, uh, sort of recurring character Kate Stewart, who's the daughter of Brigadier Alistair Lethbridge Stewart from the uh, from the Troughton era, um, and you know but she's dropped the Lethbridge because she wanted to get by on her own merit rather than uh, rather than a family name. This is um, this is her second appearance now because uh, she was in the uh, the Power of Three, which was. Um, one of Amy and Rory's final episodes, but she's come back uh, most recently in the flux. 
So this character is sort of uh, going on nine, going on ten years now that we've had Gemma Redgrave playing Kate Stewart. I always think she plays a really good part. I just think it's really nice to have the throwback to the Brigadier because obviously he first arrives, as you said, in, in the Triton era. But he's hugely prominent with Pertwee. Massively, because obviously John Pertwee's Doctor is, you know, restricted to, to not being able to travel from Earth. So he's working with UNIT for a couple of years there. Uh, Tom Baker he sees as well, you know, and I think he pops up much later, potentially with, with Sylvester McCoy in a Cyberman episode, I think. Hmm, I'll have to check that out. But yeah, he, he sort of keeps p- turning up. He technically turns up uh, with Capaldi as well. Um, okay. In the, it's in the Dark Water and Death of Heaven two-parter when uh, when Missy's making an army of Cybermen, you know, making it basically giving it cyber rain and converting all the basically all the dead into into Cybermen and resur- you know resurrecting them that way. Uh, when the, there's a one of the planes is blowing up, I think it's like the British version of Air Force One, and somebody saves. Kate Stewart. She doesn't know how, but it's the uh, it's the Cyberman version of uh, of Sir Alistair that's in, hinted that he's the one who saved it because somehow you know somehow got the memories and the uh, these neural inhibitors get turned off and all the rest of it and yeah yeah right, the Cyberman okay. the Cyberman stands there salutes the Doctor and then buggers off and blows itself up, uh, which is yeah I remember both, that well, it's, it's both, both sweet and horrific. Yeah yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Again, these these throwbacks and so on. I mean, it's it's good when when you get a show that does that because obviously we're fast approaching now. What the sixtieth anniversary? Yeah, next year, twenty twenty three will be the sixtieth anniversary. I mean, that is sixty years. It's an it's an institution, isn't it? It's, it's a British television institution, Doctor Who. Granted, it was oh, had yeah. a big chunk of time missing, but the fact that we get the throwbacks to previous stuff that I've seen. Uh, maybe even stuff that I watched as a child myself in now the stuff I'm watching as an adult, I get a massive nostalgia kick. Yeah, I love it as well. Even even the throwback, even the odd throwback to to the past of New Who, you know, in, within the mm. last, you know, within the last sort of 15, 20 years. Because when Clara gets into the TARDIS, the Doctor sat there reading, and he's actually wearing Amy Pond's uh, reading glasses that he kept. Okay, because in in her in the in her last episode. She started wearing reading glasses. She gives them to the doctor, and he's like, "Oh, that's much better," you know, because he's he can't, right. he has, he's not figured out that his eyes are going. And uh, yeah, Matt Smith sort of pockets the glasses, and after the angels get Amy and Rory, he, uh, he keeps them and he wears them from that point onward. Oh, I didn't pick up on that at all. Look. Yeah, well, like I said, I've watched this episode far too many times, so I've <laughs> there's, bits and, there's bits and pieces that um, that sort of stick out like a sore thumb to me now. But um, oh. going back to uh, to Kate Lethbridge-Stewart as well, uh, she's sat just having a lunch by the looks of it, and, uh, and Osgood comes along and she's got the, the big, long uh, Tom Baker-style scarf on, yes. which I thought was a real nice touch as well. Uh, but Kate gives a, a throw... Uh, Kate gives says a line about uh, having the uh, having the Ravens being sluggish and to change the batteries. Yeah. <laughs> and she references Malcolm, who was... Um, oh, what's his name? Sweaty comedian. God damn, oh. is that? Lee Evans, Lee Evans, yeah, Lee Evans's character yeah. in, in in a one-off episode, and in that the referenced having robotic attack ravens at the Tower of London, right? So even that throwaway lines a a really nice little callback. That is clever, isn't it? That is great. And you mentioned the scarf as well that yeah. the assistant is wearing, the, the old Tom Baker scarf. I love that. I mean, that's 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 probably way more on the nose than some of the subtle stuff that we're looking at with regards to, I suppose. Ian Chesterton's name popping up and the 5.16 on the clock and whatever. 
But I, I don't mind that. I don't mind the lack of subtlety. I think that was great. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it perfectly fits Osgood, Osgood's character because she's essentially a doctor. She's essentially a doctor fangirl. Yes. She's read all the files. She knows his history, knows the doctor's history inside out. Everything he's done for unit and all of it. And then later on, Osgood crops up in a Capaldi episode wearing uh, wearing like a, a vest with question marks on it, like um, uh, yeah, uh, like uh, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. So it, it makes it makes sense for that character. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I remember I remember seeing that actually now when you mentioned it. She walking out with the with the, the sweater with the question marks on it, and that moment of me just going. <gasps> Oh look at that! And the wife having no idea yeah. what I was referencing whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I do love it. Um, yeah. Then the doctor gets dropped in the middle of I think it's Trafalgar Square, in the TARDIS and the crowd looking around at him, and they have uh, they just they casually say they're going to blame it on Darren Brown and they've sent him flowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like your coat it's almost like men in black-esque isn't it where they use the zapper to sort of erase people's yeah. memory and put new memories in place it kind of it kind of made me think of that a little bit yeah <laughs> Darren brown the uh the uk neuralizer from men in black <laughs> but we get we get a great moment where, where the doctor comes along and he's all like got a face like thunder and he's saying a word to the wise, as I'm sure your father told you, and he's you know he's going off and he's kind of just loses his senses. Like, I don't like being picked up. <laughs> <laughs> Clara's just there chirping away. Probably sounded better in his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does sound a weird one, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, is this when we see the paintings for the first time? Then this it is. Am, be, I get, am, yes. am I getting this right? Yeah, just about. Um, the doctor actually uh, compliments the scarf on Osgood as well. Yes, she's nice, but they get taken to the uh, the National Gallery. Uh, National Gallery, no, they called it the National Gallery. The National uh, Gallifrey Gallery. <laughs> yeah, Gallifrey. Just Gallifrey, pictures Gallifrey, of TARDISes Gallifrey. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. like people in mass, people with massive collars, and the the family pictures are four miles long because everyone's collars have got to get in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're acting on the instructions from uh, Elizabeth the First. They take the Doctor to the. Uh, to the, into the National Gallery, and there is a painting there. But it's an oil painting, but in 3D, which is, you know, it's Time Lord Art. It's a moment in time um, set in stasis. And it's called, so it's bigger on the inside, and it's called either No More or Gallifrey Falls. And it's the mm. sort of the first time we really see a flashback into the Time War, you know, into an actual battle, battle in the Time War. Yeah. And it, it jars the, it jars the Doctor so much, he takes Clara's hand. And start saying he was there because it's the fall of Arcadia, which is Gallifrey's second city. Saying it, it, he was there, who was me, the other me, the one I don't talk about. And you get a great close up of, of Smith's eyes, and it sort of ages into John Hurt's eyes. Mm. But it turns out that this m- sort of moment in time that's being captured is from the day that the Doctor ended the Time War by destroying the Time Lords and the Daleks. Yeah, and it, it gives a great line saying it was this is the day he did it, the day I did it the day I killed them all, the last day of the Time War. In that battle, there was one man with more blood on his hands than anyone, a man who would commit a crime that would silence the universe. And it's just like, oof. That's oh, dear. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's it. we get into the battle scene now. I've got, we've talked about ropey effects and practical effects and CGI. Um, what did you make of all this? I, I liked it. Again, I, I, it's weird because this episode to us now as we're recording is close to 10 years old, isn't it? It's like nine and a half mm. years old, is it? Something like roughly something like that. Give us oh, that, yeah. But 
something I've noticed with our watchbacks and so on is some of the effects. It, I mean, classic Who, I think you've got to put to one side because it finished in 89. So it's a completely different era when it comes to television production. New Who, starting in, what was it, 2005, I think it was, it started? Yeah. So it's not even 20 years old yet. Effects move on at a very, very quick rate, but they all kind of seem dated to me. It all seems like it's out of date already, even though it's not a massive time difference between when these programs first aired till now. However, this episode is the first time I've sat there and really thought, this looks fucking great. Yeah. You can tell the budget was way up for this one because the CGI is on point, the practical effects for the battle on the mm. ground are on point. Um, the only thing that looks a bit ropey is when the do- is when the war doctor's using the soldier's gun to shoot no more into the, uh, into oh, the walls. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a, you've got this, what looks like a shotgun that just happens to be knocking out the exact bits of rock you want to do to spell no more. And like so I say, maybe... I shouldn't, shouldn't overthink it, but it's a bit silly. No, you're right. And again, I didn't even notice that until you pointed it out. And now you pointed it out, yeah, it is bloody daft. Yeah, and I won't, I, won't, I won't be I won't be criticizing a lot of this episode, but, no, that, but has that, always, is. that has always grated on me. It's not like he was. It's not like he had a pistol and he was just yeah shooting it all in you know in bullet by bullet. No, this was a, a whacking great shotgun that just so happened to to spell out no more with the he must with the bits of brick. Absolutely amazing shot, and he'd been practicing writing that somewhere else for years or something, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Where was he for the rest of the time? While I was practicing to shoot words into rock, into like bombed houses. Yeah, I was here, had a little smiley face next to it and stuff like that. We've yeah. been practicing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have to say though, how cool is John Hurt's voice when yes. he gives it the, the soldier? I'm going to need your gun. I can't do an impression of John Hurt. I'm too northern, um, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not posh enough, despite what Rob says on UTT. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, then you've got the the Daleks dropping everything just because they've found out that the Doctor's nearby. Mm. How often do you yeah. see Daleks in retreat? It's just that again. It's that I suppose again. I see this more in New Who, I guess, than, than I did the old Who. The, the 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 whole thing with the Daleks and the Doctor of you are the enemy of the Daleks. We must destroy you. Mm. As opposed to in classic Who. Again, my memory may be failing me here, and it may be incorrect, but I remember it more like they would carry on about their business anyway, and the Doctor would just be trying to stop them, as opposed to the Daleks kind of reacting to his presence more, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it does, but, but you've got to remember, this this is the middle of the time war. This is where the Doctor's mm. been trying to thwart them for so long. But yeah. also, what other damages has, has he inflicted on the Daleks? What reputation does he now have? Just how much well, of I mean, a badass has he been? <laughs> in theory, this is not the middle. Of the, this is the end of the time war, isn't it? So, any well, damages yeah. and issues and battles that have that have happened have happened. They've been and gone. So you imagine the fact that they're reacting this way. I mean, it's a really good point you make, Dan. The fact that they're reacting this way shows that during the time war, he has been a real thorn in their side, to, to say the least. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you get the cover, the really cool seek, locate, destroy. And then the Doctor abandons all subtlety and just rams the TARDIS through the wall and just, <laughs> just bowls through. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not? Sometimes you don't need to, you know, sonic something and make something go boom and, you know, set elaborate traps. Sometimes you do just need the blunt force approach and to whack them with your TARDIS. Exactly, mate. And that's not euphemism. It's a... 
<laughs> See that, that that's, that's how hungover I am. I didn't even consider the euphemism in that sense. <laughs> Sometimes you need the blunt force of just whacking someone with your TARDIS. <laughs> That's a Gallifrey <laughs> pickup line. That is. <laughs> That's muttered oh, in every yeah. bar in 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 Gallifrey. <laughs> and, he met, and, he, and he's universally met with a roll of the eyes and a fuck yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so these pic these pictures, these paintings. I thought this was really clever as well, and I think it's really clever because of what happens later on with the statues. Not wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves, but they're yeah. like as you said it's, it's it's time lord art so it's bigger on the inside as you explained and it's kind of taking a snapshot of a certain scene in history but preserving it isn't it if i've if i've mm. worded that correctly yeah yeah exactly it's um it's it's a, a slice of real time that's captured mm. and then you can reach into the painting and all that and yeah we'll find out later on that you can if you've got the right technology you can essentially put yourself in suspended animation in one. Mm. But before we get there, we actually get a look at the um, at the the Time Lord War Council. You know, the war room essentially, where they're sort of monitoring the battle and what's going on. And there's uh, you know the, the Daleks are basically on course for a win. There's yeah. the, what something they're converging on the capital, but whatever the sky trenches are, they're holding, which seems good. And there's a there's a security breach. In the vaults, the Omega Arsenal has been breached, and the last last of the forbidden weapons has uh, has been stolen, which is uh, it's called the Moment, as I mentioned before. And it's a Galaxy Eater, a weapon so powerful the operating system became sentient and developed developed a conscience. And it's time for another badass line: How do you use a weapon of ultimate mass destruction when it can stand in judgment of you? Yeah, that yeah, <laughs> that's that's deep. You know, not yeah. not as deep as let's smash them with the TARDIS, but it's deep. You know? <laughs> oh dear! Uh, but it appears as Rose Tyler, doesn't it? This this sentient being, this this weapon, it appears as Rose Tyler to the War Doctor. Hmm. It does, yeah. Uh, with the Doctor's taking the moment, he's trudged out into the desert, and he's sort of muttering to himself and serving notice on uh, on the time lords and, and the daleks saying you know no more and it's time to uh time to end it mm. i think i suppose deviating slightly from from the episode itself where do you stand on the kind of i don't, I don't want to call it a rewriting but maybe it is of the old doctor who history with this new doctor coming in but not being a, a, a regeneration so I suppose in order as we watch, it's we're up to Doctor. What are we here? Matt Smith was what twelve, wasn't he? Is that correct? Um, yes. And then we're now looking at the Doctor that they're trying to say is actually nine in the sequence. Yep. Whereas we knew Eccleston as nine for yep. fifteen years. Where do you stand upon that? I mean, I'm not a. I, I love the idea and I love the fact that there's this one that they don't talk about the war doctor because of his, what he did and so on. But the fact that it affects what I've kind of known for a long time, I'm not a massive fan of that side of it, I guess. I can understand that. I actually quite like it because since it came back, since Doctor Who came back, they've talked about the time war. They've talked about what the doctor mm -hmm. did in the time war. They've talked about, you know, alluded to his actions and what led to him being the man he is now and, and, and all the rest of it. It's good to finally see it. 
And the fact they managed to bring on an actor like John Hurt to play that that version of the Doctor, I'm I'm kind of perfectly fine with it because it's it 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 feels like it was thought out from the beginning. If that makes sense, from Doctor Who coming back, it just fits in perfectly. Whether it was planned mm. out or if it's just retroact, you know, retroactively sort of slotted in, I'm all for it. I, I I don't mind the War Doctor whatsoever. I think it was almost necessary to have that sort of partition between here's everything up to Paul McGann in the movie. Here's Eccleston onwards and the, you know, the trauma from the time when all that, this guy, this one version, this one regeneration is who did it all. It, it fills a, it fills a slot in the history and in the character that I think was really needed. And you, you could, you probably couldn't bring, probably couldn't bring, bring back McGann for that. Mm. You couldn't have, yeah. you couldn't really have Eccleston do it. So I think it was I think it was the right move. Yeah, okay. I mean, I suppose following on from that then, we're now, at the time of recording, we're uh, one special in, I suppose, to Jodie Whittaker's last three TV specials before her regeneration. So we've seen the, the other Lady Doctor bouncing around as well. There's talk about how the first Doctor wasn't potentially the first Doctor now. There was more before that. There's a possible ulterior timeline, maybe. There's a lot of things that are up in the air with regards to where they're going to go, which on one hand, I suppose, is is quite good from a creative standpoint. We don't know where we're heading. But on the other side of the coin, again, I grew up watching, you know, Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor. And then going back and watching all the old, so you know the old doctors and reading the books and you know the the documentaries and all this sort of stuff as a child before New Who came around, and to me it almost feels like now we're rewriting what the classic show was, and I'm not a big fan of that aspect. I know it hasn't played out yet, but again, the nostalgia side of me doesn't like that. I can understand that. I completely disagree with you but I can understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Most people do, to be fair. (laughs) Well, it's just just from the point point that the Doctor, it's been said, has 13 lives. Mm -hmm. It was a set number. I think it was 13. Therefore, they had to find a way to have extra lives after Matt Smith because Matt Smith was the final one. Yeah. Because Tennant, they also acknowledged that Tennant got shot by a Dalek and then use the regeneration energy to keep the, to keep the same face. Mm. So that's, that makes Smith actually 13. Or, yeah, 13, I think. I'm losing track of the numbers now as well. So they had to do that. They did that in Smith's final episode where he gets the big, you know, he gets the extra regenerations from, from Gallifrey and whatnot. But that still leaves a set amount of lives and a set amount of regenerations. To find a way... And a narrative way of giving the Doctor unli- effectively unlimited lives is brilliant for the lo- for the longevity of the show. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think it, 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 it's, number, it, yeah, it's more than that. It, it was necessary because there will come a time when they run out of lives again, and they've got to find another way to say, "Oh, well, now here's the reset again." And you can only do that effectively once. Mm. Anything after that just becomes, "Oh, they're doing that again." It becomes passe. This with the with the hidden past, like you said, gives them so much creative license and so many different narrative directions. I th- it, I think it's completely the right move because William Hartnell can still be the first Doctor. We or, because we don't know what they were called before that. 
you know, mm. oh, this is the first Doctor after the memory wipe. Right, okay. So therefore, it's still the first Doctor, the version of the Doctor that we've seen since the 60s and, and we all know and love. Mm. Everything after that, you know, everything before that, that's somebody different entirely. Yeah. Because you've got to remember, the other, the other female Doctor is, I believe, from the Doctor's past when the doctor worked for division. So that, you know, she's a past regeneration anyway. Yeah. So if you think of it in terms of, you know, post division doctor being the ones we see on TV and pre division, you know, and pre that as, as sort of, they're almost separate entities. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I, I totally agree with you with regards to when, when, when they've hit the number of regenerations, they've always spoke about something has mm. to happen to trigger that again to, to allow the show to continue. hundred percent agree on that. You can't just get to a certain number and then fudge it every time. It has to be something happens to just continue the show mm. indefinitely, I guess. It's just, I, I, I like knowing the history as I know it. And the fact that things are now going to be altered or whatever, it, it that, that, that may, I don't know. It's probably just me being a grumpy old man. You're, you're I like it. Don't know what it is. It's it's an adaptation of what people say about about Yorkshire. The old sort of stereotype is: I I say what I like and I like what I say. You're more. I know what I like and I like what I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm more than I'm perfectly happy with what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what else I've done. Actually, now now you're talking there. After this episode, when I watched it back for the the recording today, I loved it so much. I watched the next one as well. Oh, the time so, of the Doctor. Yes, so that's the episode where the Doctor gets very old. That's mm. what I was thinking of earlier on when I mentioned that, and you kind of looked at me a bit funny. That's. I was wondering if I was wondering if you were getting it confused, or if you were just you just forgot John Hurt's name. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I watched this the follow on from this straight after because I loved this so much so that's where I'm kind of getting myself a bit confused I think because I'm sort of thinking of two episodes into one with yeah. regards to what we're talking about but yeah no I, I know I know where I stand now that's <laughs> where were we anyway <laughs> we, we got there eventually uh, we, were, we were at the um, we were in the, uh, the the sort of abandoned shack and the doctor's fired up the moment and his uh, uh, rose has turned up although it's uh, it's not rose uh, mm. That's uh, that's appeared. It's uh, it's Bad Wolf, which explains the uh, the dodgy accent uh, because she's uh, she's not Cockney Rose anymore. You know, raised in yeah. the raised in the tower blocks. It's uh, it's all posh Billy Piper. Um, yeah, but okay. I, I, I I just liked Billy Piper mocking him, which was no more, no more, <laughs> giving it all that. Yeah, that was great. Uh, and the the way that the the the, the Billy Piper character, I guess almost is a little bit it's obviously incredibly intelligent but also a little bit off on certain details like turning around to the war doctor and saying mm, yeah this is a face from your past or actually maybe it's from your future and i've got that wrong oh yeah i can always and, get and, those mixed up <laughs> yeah and kind of looks to the side and looks a little bit confused at their own statement i thought that was brilliant as well because it kind of explains why billy piper's character is there for this Mm. it's just it's just a silly little uh, an error made by i don't know a couple of hundred years or something <laughs> but at the same time it's kind of like so dismissive of of its own error it's just like oh well whatever and just carries yeah, on anyway i thought that was really good 
we're in our beery. What I did like was that um, before the doctor realizes who uh, you know who she is, who that it's you know the the user interface for the moment. He touches the box and it you know burns his fingers. The interface is hot, and she's just sat there and goes, "Well, I do my best." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. Future generations will, uh, future regenerations will no doubt agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was. Um, there's a real nice sort of exchange between the two as well. When the doctor's saying that he's been fighting so long, he's lost the right to be called the doctor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the moment asks, it says, Oh, and you're the one to save us. And he says, yes. And she's, <laughs> the moment says, well, if I ever develop an ego, you've got the job. <laughs> Which yeah. I, I just, yeah, it was brilliant. It was, it was a great moment of sort of comedy and, and a bit of relief from what's been like up to now, quite, well, John Hurt's been involved. It's all been quite heavy, and and I'm trying to find the right word. There's, it's been, um, oh Christ, well, it's quite my dark, brain, it's, my it? brain's it's pickled. Quite... <laughs> <laughs> it's quite dark, isn't it? The, the war, yes. doctor, the whole, the whole thing about the war doctor. Even before we've kind of, even before we've seen the war doctor at all, the, the mention of the time war and what happened there instantly yeah. casts a very dark shadow over this character before we've even properly met him. I guess. Yeah. That, yeah, that's that sums it up. There is there is a word that I'm thinking of, but I'll, I'll think of it in about half an hour. Um, yeah, drop me, drop me a message <laughs> later, mate. Will you? Yeah, after I've spent after I've spent half an hour googling it. Yeah, <laughs> do, record a voice clip, send it me. I'll try yeah. to edit it in. But, yeah, <laughs> but, um, the moment then opens up um, corridors into the Doctor's future to see the man he'll become mm. if he goes ahead with, uh, you know, with Bur- essentially burning Gallifrey and a Fez lands. <laughs> lands at his feet <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> yeah it's just a great way to get us back into the present and uh, as they're going uh, the painting turns out wasn't the um you know it wasn't the reason he was there that was just proof of elizabeth the first credentials mm. and the taking to the under gallery as they exit the scientist takes a phone call and said but that's not possible and it just cuts away with no explanation yeah and just like well that's obviously leading to something <laughs> But just like that, we're back in 1562 with David Tennant and Elizabeth I riding a horse out of the TARDIS. <laughs> More clever sort of, I suppose, almost Clara on the motorbike kind of aspects, isn't it? It's all coming out of the TARDIS with the horse in the same way the motorbike went in, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. Um, yeah. And there's, there's just a great quip from uh, from Elizabeth I, who's played by uh, Joanna Page, who was Stacey and Gavin and Stacey. Yes, Um she, she says, "You nearly uh, the he said, tenant says it's bigger on the inside, and she says, she says the door isn't. You nearly took my head off. It's usually me who does that. <laughs> but I'll just get into it. I mentioned earlier that uh, there was something that ran deeper than even I thought of, and it's the relationship between the Doctor and Elizabeth the First. Right, yeah, because this has been dropped throughout New Who, or alluded to, or outright just shown on screen. But it turns out Elizabeth the First appeared. It first appeared in Doctor Who." In 1965, in a okay. serial called in a serial called The Chase. Then the next time we see Elizabeth I is in the Shakespeare Code, which was one of uh, which was one of Tennant's episode in his second series, when Elizabeth is sending soldiers after the Doctor to get him for something he's done, but we're not quite sure what. And the Doctor's just like, okay, you're just sort of looking as if I can't wait to figure out what I do to piss her off, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, in uh, in the end of time, uh, which was one of the uh, one of Tennant's later episodes, uh, it refers to uh, to good Queen Bess maybe not being as good as people thought, 
as if he's got some sort of intimate knowledge. And then in the Matt Smith episode, The Beast Below, Elizabeth the Tenth references uh, the Doctor and Elizabeth's relationship in the episode The Beast Below. So one way or another, this relationship between the Doctor and Elizabeth I has been scattered throughout the almost the entire run of, of Doctor Who to this point. See, it's so clever, isn't it? When you think about it, it's, yeah. you know, it's so clever. I hope things like that are planned. I hope that's what they've been doing all along, and it's not just a coincidence where they suddenly go, oh, do you know what? We keep mentioning this as a joke. Let's make it a thing. I wish. I, I, I hope it's planned. Uh, yeah, I don't think it would have obviously been planned from like 1965, but I like to think that they've sort of looked back, said, oh, we had Shakespeare and Elizabeth in this episode. Let's do one with Shakespeare, and then we can tie Elizabeth in. Hmm. And then they sort of, you know, drop another reference. And so the writers, are, people have obviously got something in the back of the mind about how it's, how it could, you know, it could be left there to play out at a later date and just yeah. sort of dropping it there and saying, right, okay, we'll have that. We'll come back to it soon. Yeah. It's very clever, isn't it? Very clever. Oh, something else is a bit of a throwback, I suppose. And apologies, Dan, if I'm, I'm jumping ahead of it here, but we have issues with the Zygons in this episode, don't we? We do, and th- to my knowledge, this is the first time the Zygons have appeared in New Who. Yeah, because yeah, they only appeared once in Old Who. They're only right. around in one serial in o- Old Who. And now they've popped up a couple of times, haven't they, in New Who since. Mm. But, um, yeah, this is the first time they were seen since, I think it was the, the, the mid-70s. There was a serial called Terror of the Zygons, and I think it was a... Uh... Yes, in fact, it was, because it was a Tom Baker story because the um, some of the Zygons turned into Harry, one of Tom Tom Baker's Doctor's companions at the time. Yes, all right, but, I see. Yeah, so that would have been oh, 74, 75, I would imagine. Hmm. But yeah, what I did you think of them? Because I suppose it's the first time you sort of come across the Zygons. They, they look, obviously they're aliens for a start, so they're going to look odd, but they look very odd. <laughs> yeah. Big red rubbery things covered in suckers. Surprisingly yeah. good kisses. Um, <laughs> they, they look, they're pretty terrifying. And we'll come on to it, into it later on. But I think a great job was done showing the Zygons uh, mid-transformation because they're shapeshifters. Hmm. So the Doctor thinks that, um, that Elizabeth I is the, is the Zygon because she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't accept a proposal and be so casual about, you know, mention of outer space. But yeah, I, I like them. I think, they, I think they look great. They look quite evil and menacing and, a bit gross, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I've got another criticism here. The whole, you know, when the Doctor's got the Zygon detector device and he's there giving it, uh, and she's saying, what's that? And he says, it's, it's a device that, it's a, that goes ding. It's like, it just felt a bit try-hard. Right. It felt like they were yeah. trying to force that sort of the, that old tenant magic. Because in his original run, he'd have reeled off something like that and it'd have been brilliant and all the rest of it. And this, it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like we're going to have him say, a, you know, do a mad silly thing for the sake of doing a mad silly thing. And it just came across as just a bit flat for me. I don't know why. Yeah. No, I I, I, I get what you mean as well. I kind of, I, I, I didn't make any notes about that specifically, but it was kind of like, it almost felt like it needed to be funnier or it needed to just be an explanation as to what it actually is. And it ended up just being a bit sort of neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's quite funny when he realises that he's ballsed up and he's going to be King of England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. I mean, seeing Tennant back as well, I got, I can remember getting a big kick out of that whilst watching this. Because I've, yeah. you know, I've made it no secret that 
and this episode kind of changes my mind a bit to be honest but i made it no no secret that i'm not the biggest matt smith fan mm. because i was such a big tenant fan and such a big eccleston fan matt smith i didn't quite get on board with first time round, as we mm. spoke about on this show several times already but in this episode i thought he was fantastic but having eccleston back sorry having david tennant back as well i remember sitting watching this at the time and just thinking this is fantastic because it's, it's almost like one of my doctors is back so to speak yeah i felt the same it was great seeing him back in the role um and it, it kind of the more it went along the more he sort of grew into it especially when he starts being able to bounce off matt smith and they can you know have their interactions and all the rest of it but yeah yeah, it was just, it's always good when a when a former doctor comes back. It's just, it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? And just like, oh, this is, it's like, it's like we were saying on a previous episode about the uh, sort of the TV comfort blankets where you just, you put it on something that you've watched a million times before, you know what you're going to get. It's just like, ah, oh, there we go. Yeah. It scratches that part of your brain where it's just like, yeah, this is nice. This is a happy place. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, with regards again to the Zygons though, and the way they look, if you see them from from the seventies, that they look the same. Obviously, the, the effects mm. and the colours and so on have been updated a bit, and because the hands, especially on the Zygons back in the seventies, the hands look very, very nineteen seventies. They look very, very old fashioned sci fi. If you know what I mean. But yeah. The actual appearance of them. I mean, the Daleks have been updated a few times. The Cybermen we know have been updated numerous times with mm. how they look. The Zygons look pretty much as they did in the seventies, which I, I find really interesting. Yeah. It speaks to how good the design was when is they've not changed much. They've just updated the materials and, you know, it's, it's a bit less rough around the edges. And like you say, everything's just upgraded to modern standards. I'm all for them. I really like the Zygons. I hope, I hope we see more of them to be honest. Hmm. Cause I, um, I just watched recently the Smith episodes with the, uh, the Pandorica. And when it turns out that all the, all his, all his enemies, all these villains, have come together to try and stop the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got, like, Daleks stood by stood by Cybermen, stood by Sontarans, stood by the Silurians. And, yeah, and he's just... It's just a brilliant crossover sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the Zygons. I want more of them. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I, I suppose you talk there about lots of, uh, lots of bad guys forming, like, a, a union to face the Doctor in that episode. And, obviously, here we've got... A special episode with numerous doctors and Rose Tyler coming back and so on. Do you think that? Okay, I'll, I'll word that differently. How do you feel with regards to the specials and the end of seasons with Doctor Who since it's been restarted, rebooted, or whatever? Because it seems that the series always builds to this big crescendo. Yeah, it, it, it does. Is, to me, it's like how much more of that can they do? How many times can you have it to the case where? There's so many Daleks, there's no chance they can succeed. Or the Daleks and the Cybermen are now together. And uh, How many times can you do that same thing, you know? In theory, they can do it as many times as they want, but it's whether it gets stale or not. That's I what I mean. Yeah, with regards to the viewer standpoint, yeah. Yeah, keep it fresh is the hard bit. I mean, the Christopher Eccleston's first season finale was all Dalek. Yeah. That was, you know, that was pretty easy to do. The specials... It's a difficult because a season finale has always got to have a big finish to get people looking forward to the next season. So it's got to be. It doesn't always necessarily have to be a big crossover, um, but 
it's kind of what makes this episode unique because the main villains are the Zygons. Mm. Everything to do with the Daleks is inc- incidental and, and historical. Now, they're not the main threat in this. So for this one, I think they got it spot on. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of the specials in the season finales and crossovers, I'm having trouble actually thinking of any in modern Who, where it's where it's been like that, where it's been a full on crossover. Because I'm not just meaning crossovers. I mean, to, again, if you take the end of a season and a special, hmm. it seems that to me they're either about a regeneration. That, yeah. That, that people. Yeah, that tends to be what people remember from the end of the season or the end of a, end of a certain Christmas special or Easter special or, or whatever, a regeneration, or the 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 peril is so bad it's the biggest thing they faced so far. Now I understand that's how TV works and it's the hook and so on, but I again I look back to classic Who, and when you got to the end of a season, it was just the end of that story and that was that. Hmm. It didn't have the sort of. Um, it, well, it, it did on occasion, but it was very rare that you would have a running theme from series to series, episode to episode, apart from if it, if it was a three-parter, it was a three-parter. If it was a four-parter, it was a four-parter, and so on. It didn't tend to have proper storyline crossovers from story to story, apart from the odd little nod here and there to, oh, we missed such and such, they've left, or, oh, you know, how are you feeling now after what happened on, on last week's show, so to speak. So when you got to the end of a series, for example, uh, I don't know, a Tom Baker series. He did so many of them. When you got to the end of a Tom Baker series, that story would finish and that would be that. It wouldn't build to a massive crescendo like we get now. My point is that in New Who, as much as I love it and I love the peril, the suspense and the hype, when it hits that massive crescendo, how many massive crescendos can you hit before they're not massive anymore? All right, yeah, I, I get you now. Um it's not something I've ever considered because I think the key to that is how you bring it. Just, I'm going to equate it to a wrestling match. Okay. Because the point you raise, and I see a lot in wrestling, a lot of modern wrestling is big move, big move, big move, big move until they lose all meaning. Mm. And you know the so-called work rate matches. The, the real art form is making the one big finish feel more spectacular. Yeah. So if they've built it right... And if they continue to build it right, having these grand finales and these, you know, these these big, big bads and you know, big evils and peril and all that, in theory, it can be done indefinitely. It can be done multiple times. It can be done as many times as they want. It just has to be done well. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's okay. a lot trickier question to answer. You know, just one sentence, um, because it all depends on the build. As long as they keep building it yeah. right, then it'll keep working. That's the only real sort of thing I can think of there. You're asking a ta- taxing questions of a man with a pickled brain. <laughs> I apologise. I apologise. These <laughs> things just pop these things just pop in my head as we're talking. I think, well, I've got to bring them up because I'm probably going to forget about them. And, I, <laughs> and I'll, yeah. I'll remember for next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it might be two weeks or three weeks from now. Exactly. 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 So, Dan, let's get back to where we were. Do you want to talk us through a bit more of the episode as we kind of head towards some pretty cool moments towards the end as well. Yes. So Dr. And Elizabeth are running away from the Zygon. Um, the doctor stops to talk shit at a rabbit. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Cause he thinks it's a Zygon. He gives his whole, he's, you know, he's, he's a time Lord from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casturbus. And he's just stops everything. You're basically just a rabbit, aren't you? Um, 
we've got two two Elizabeths. Zygons mm. got their formed a duplicate, and uh, a time fissure opens up, and a fez appears. <laughs> Another fez, and then we cut back to uh, we're back in the undergallery, uh, which is where Elizabeth the first kept uh, all art deemed too dangerous for public consumption. The floor's covered in some sort of uh, of dust on the floor. Oh, and, this uh, was very clever. Yeah, it was. Um, I just I like the fact that for some reason this I don't think this was intended to be comedic, but the doc, somebody asks if it's important, and it, the doctor says, "In twelve hundred years, I've never stepped in anything that wasn't." <laughs> <laughs> and he goes off on this big he goes off on this big rant saying how he wants the dust analysed and form signed in triplicate and put on his desk and all of that. Just do I have a desk? <laughs> do I have a desk? Yeah, <laughs> just to prove that he has a job. Yeah. Um, and we see three more Time Lord paintings, and there's glass on the floor. But the glass has been broken from the inside, so mm. something has escaped the paintings, which is kind of creepy. But what happens? A time fissure opens up, and the Doctor says almost remembers what's going on. And he says, oh, of course, this is where I come in, and chucks his fez and jumps in after it. Yeah. And we get the first face-off of Tennant and Smith. And it is glorious. I've done my usual thing. I've got it verbatim. And uh, you've got him facing off and Smith looking at Tennant going, oh, that is skinny. Proper <laughs> skinny. I've never seen it from the outside before. It's like a special effect. And he, <laughs> and he, he, and he calls him Matchstick Man. They both yeah. simultaneously get the sonic screwdrivers out. But Smith's is bigger. And tenants tenant makes his extend, you know, extends it <laughs> as it, making the uh, the obvious allusion to size mattering. Yeah, um, as if he's compensated. So then tenant says, "Oh, regeneration, it's a lottery." And he, Smith goes back and goes, "Ooh, I'm the doctor, and I'm cool, except I'm wearing sand shoes." But <laughs> <laughs> we get um, Smith taking the piss out of tenant for 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 when. Uh, Therefore, when the both the Elizabeth kiss him and says one of those was a Zygon. Yeah. Yep. Big red rubbery thing covered in suckers. Yep. Venom sacks in the tongue. Yeah, I'm getting the point. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> 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 just bickering like kids. It's it's just brilliant. Um Clara's Clara and uh, and Kate can still hear what's going on. So who are you talking to? And they both say myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just so good. a great touch. And the Fez is gone again. Uh, Smith throws it through, um, and they're sort of out. Smith and Tennant are bickering about why Smith doesn't remember this, saying that Tennant wasn't paying enough attention and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And then it's uh, it's it's a it's a triple Doctor situation because John Hurt lands in and uh, asking if anybody's lost a fez, and the, the <laughs> War Doctor asking if they're uh, if they're the Doctor's companions, <laughs> saying they get younger all the time. And <laughs> <laughs> this is. It's just so much. Oh. It's so much better in John Hurt's voice as well, where he asks if <laughs> I'm not even going to try and do the impression again. Is it? But he asks if he's having a midlife crisis, yeah. <laughs> and they start, they start pointing the screwdrivers at these. Um, you know, that's it. He says, "Why are you pointing your screwdrivers like that? They're scientific instruments, not water pistols." <laughs> the, the soldiers come and surround him, and the, he goes again with the pointing. They're screwdrivers. What are you going to do? Assemble a cabinet at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good man it's He's so just this good sarcastic grumpy sort of old man <laughs> and it's it's just brilliant um the soldiers are saying that the queen's bewitched and the 
the soldier saying the the queen's bewitched and the doctor gets uh, so sort of Matt Smith gets Clara to pretend to be a witch because they can hear through the uh, yeah. through the time fishing. <laughs> He's giving a direction as she's saying it. It's like a bit more pep. He's like fine. <laughs> Threatens to turn him into frogs and all sorts. Um, it says it, it, somebody asks if it's a timey wimey thing, and John has timey white me. He Tenant is hugely says, offended by that, isn't he? Oh yeah, Tenant uh, Smith. Uh, no, Tenant says I've no idea where he picks these things up, as if he wasn't <laughs> the one that invented it. Um, <laughs> we get Queen Elizabeth is there again, and Tenant and Smith again have a little bit. He goes, "That's not the Queen of England. It's an alien duplicate, and you can take it from him. He's really checked." Shut up, a venom sacks in the tongue. <laughs> it's like to, it's like it's like how you take the piss out of your brother. Yeah. Or one of your mates, you know, just just talking shit at every opportunity. And I just the interactions between the two are just absolute gold. See, I, I think I, I adore it. I think that the interactions between these two, I suppose, multi doctor stories happened in classic. Who you had like the five, the the three doctors, you had the five doctors, whatever. And you had stuff like that. And you always did have the bickering between between the doctors. You always did have the kind of digs of, oh, I don't like what you've done when they've redecorated the TARDIS or whatever. But this is a whole new level. And to me, this is probably... I, I may watch something that completely changes my mind, but to me, this is potentially the best interaction from different doctors on the screen at the same time. Yeah. I'd say so. Like I haven't watched the three doctors and the five and the five doctors. This blows it out of the water completely for me. I mean, I'm biased as well because Tennant and Smith they are my doctors, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, I'd go along with that. It's definitely, uh, definitely the best one. Um, and they get they get taken to the Tower of London. Yeah, and just chucked in a cell. Um, Smith immediately starts carving something in the wall. John Hurt scanning the door. Tennant's asking why they're all there. But he gives it another dig. Me and Chinny were surprised, but you were. It's <laughs> a <laughs> John Hurt. Chinny. Yeah, I know. It's just brilliant. And then it, you know, it cuts away, and it's the uh, the, the stone being analysed. And this was a real sort of horror movie esque moment of realisation. The yeah. stone, the stone dust being analysed. Saying it's you know marble granite, but no, nothing that the building's made of. So what is it? It's like someone smashed up a load of old statues. And Osgood's got her inhaler that we've seen a couple of times already. And that's stood in between all these old statues. Aren't yeah, they? that are covered over and all that. And yeah, and uh, she's oh, saying um, so she's saying we've got to leave right now. Like, don't panic, but we've got to leave. She knows where the statue. Uh, she knows where the things from the paintings have gone. They smashed up the statues because they needed somewhere to hide. Mm-hmm. So they just stood there, stock still at the Zygons, just with cl- with cloth drips over their head. When I say it out loud, it sounds a bit Scooby Doo. Yeah, totally. But when you watch it, it it's it's so good. It's like um, it's almost like a, a reveal, but done step by step by step. Because mm. there's the dust first. Oh, it's marble. Oh, it's not made. It's not anything the building's made from. It's almost like old statues. And then you realise the old statues stood. And it's like there's several different moments where. I imagine mm. different people will twig at different times. Yeah. And it's just, uh, to me, it's just absolutely fantastically written. Yeah. So good. Oh, and so well performed as well. Yeah. And the Zygons sort of dramatically fling the, the sheets off themselves. And 
are terrifying with you know the low lighting and all that. Mm. And then you see sort of Osgood's real faith and 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 love for the Doctor, where she's sort of huddled in the corner saying the Doctor will save me over and over. The Zygon then transforms into Osgood, demands to take the inhaler and just starts taking the piss. So you know, I hate getting one. I hate getting one with a defect. Or you know the memories of your pretty sister and all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, it's real and nasty. Then, yeah, of, yeah. Personal. Yeah, it's really yeah, exactly. personal. But then Osgood, good old Osgood, realizes that the Zygon is stood on a real on a long scarf, rips the scarf up, trips the Zygon over, and gets out of there. Now that bit was a bit Scooby Doo for me. Yeah, but it it gave uh, it, it was a good use of the scarf. I like. Yeah, it. yeah, I get that. Yeah, I didn't mind it. It's after what we've after what we've just seen as well, and you know, it's all got a bit heavy again. I think you need the moment to see, especially when the Zygon lands on on its back and just it was. Ugh. So, <laughs> why is it? Why is she putting up a fight? I can't be yeah. bothered with this. I just want to go do my evil. <laughs> you're you're foiling my plan with your scarf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the uh, we've got Kate Stewart uh, back to her and looking for a string of numerals from around 1560 because she's realised that the Doctor wants to be in the Tower of London because that's where her office is mm. and the Black Archives and what have you. What have you. So it's kind of to get themselves in the same, you know, in roughly the same place at different times uh, because in the Black Archives is uh, a gift from an old friend. you got Captain Jack Harkness's Vortex Manipulator yes. beque- bequeathed to unit on the occasion of his death. Well, one of them. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame he didn't turn up, isn't it? Yeah, like as I've said before, Jack's one one of my favourite uh, companions for the Doctor. I love Torchwood as well. Um, but at this point in in sort of that universe, he's away and travelling. He's he's mm. popped off. He's he's off planet. He's off world. But the uh, the getting to the Black Archive, it's um, you know, it's all, it's all lock and key essentially, and, it, and it's it's TARDIS proof. You can yeah. get your memory wiped when you leave. So you've got the guy there on his, who says he's on his first day, but he's been there 10 years. Yeah, again, all, quite men in black-ass, isn't it? Oh, completely. That, that is full-on neuralizer. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, it turns out Clara's been there before, but she had a memory wipe, so she can't yeah, there's remember. there's pictures on the side. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah, um, so we get to the Vortex Manipulator, and uh, Kate mentions that, they've, that they don't have an activation code for it. So that's what the Doctor's carving into the... Uh, into the stone there, um, the uh, the numbers start coming through. But Osgood and one of the scientists from before turn up, and you get another moment of terrifying terrifying realization. This time for Clara, as she asks Kate why they're there, and Kate tells her, "Oh, they've, they've probably just finished disposing of the humans a bit early." Yeah, and just it's real like, casual, oh, cold. There's a real chill down your spine when that line comes out, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely love it again. Greatly, really well delivered. And then we get the the transformation scene. We see the close up of the, Zy- the the Zygon morphing from human to its true form, and looks absolutely horrific mid mid uh, mid change. It's like she's it's like um, that she's throwing up at first, isn't it? And then it kind of just molds and and oh, it looked painful. Mm. But um, we get proof that the Zygons aren't as smart as they think they are, because the Zygons left uh, left Kate's phone. Just on the table. Just left it there. <laughs> the code gets popped th- popped through. Clara grabs it up, instantly knows how to work a vortex manipulator because the plot needed it to. Oh yeah, and, that's uh, very clever girl. They, 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 no, 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 Clara Slander, please. She's a very intelligent girl. 
<laughs> I'm not slandering Clara. I'm slandering the. I'm slandering the uh, a moment of uh, of sloppy writing, really. Okay, I'll go along because it's just. <laughs> it, it just <laughs> You tell it, I mean, it's entirely possible at some point that the Doctor taught Clara how to use a Vortex manipulator. But it's never been seen on screen, as far as we know. She's just walked in, mm. picked it up, gone, bip, 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 bye. Activation code, you say? I think is the line yeah. she gives, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. you're telling me it's just there, ready and waiting, to, to, just to be punched in. And then she's also she also knows how to set the, set the coordinates in time of where she wants to go and just doing it all that quickly. Yeah, and then just... just Gone. Yeah. Like I said, not much to criticise in it is a nitpick, because it's still a pretty cool moment if you just take it at face value. Hmm. But yeah, just annoyed me. Yes. Where does bit. she end up? She ends up back at uh the Tower of London with the three doctors. Yeah. She does, yeah. Um and we got oh we get some of my favourite um science mumbo jumbo talk. Because John Hurt's looking at a way to try and uh, try and dissolve the door. So if you can isolate the sonic shift among the molecules to disintegrate it, but David Tennant points out he'd have to calculate the exact harmonic resonance of the entire structure down to a subatomic subatomic level. Even the sonic would take years. And he says, Hertz says, no, it'll take centuries. May as well get started to pass the timey wimey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good, man. He's so yeah. good. They just have, it's a great... Um, it's a great... Inter- it's a great interaction because it is... Even though it's three different people, it is very much like someone talking to themselves mm. as, as Smith comes on to later because Hurt's calling them out on saying you know why do you talk like children are you scared of growing up and then he, he calls out the way they're looking at him you know I can't think of a better word than dread yeah and they're sort of you know flashing back to so, you know it must be really recent for you or hasn't done it yet and it gets into the moment this is there but only John Hurt can see her and asks John tells John Hurt to, to ask them what he wants to know says, did you ever count how many children were on Gallifrey that day? Oh, this is brutal. A really, really heavy question. Mm. And Smith has no idea. He asks how old he is. He says, don't know, I'll lose track. 1,200 and something, unless I'm lying. I've forgotten if I'm lying about my age, that's how old I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gives him a bit of a bollocking. He's saying, you know, 400 years older than me, and you never wondered. Yeah. And he says, you know, says what would be the point? And then Tennant chimes in, who's obviously the one between the two saying 2.47 billion. Mm. He killed 2.47 billion children. It's just incredible. It's just, that number is so vast, I can't even fathom it. And it's just, you know, it's it's, again, that bolt after the whole timey-wimey dig and all that sort of stuff. It's that bolt back, the the sort of real kick in the arse to make you realise how how evil that act was, but evil but necessary, I guess, in, in, in his eyes at that time. Yeah. And he says, but then Tennant starts bollocking Smith, saying, you forgot 400 years, is that all it takes? Mm. And Smith saying he's moved on. The where, But then where can you be now that you can forget something like that? And Smith gets to do the spoilers line, loved it, just saying in the middle of all that. Um, and they're sort of skirting around the fact that, that Smith is going to end up at Trenzalore. Yeah. And he, at the doctor's grave, at his own grave. Mm. It, and it was a real intense, intense stare down. And then we get the moment there, Billy Piper saying, this is what you, this is the man, the men you become if you destroy Gallifrey, the man who regrets and the man who forgets. 
Yeah, that's very clever as well, wasn't it? Because it's almost like with Matt Smith's Doctor forgetting, mm. Tennant is trying to make it, it Tennant's cross, Tennant's Doctor is cross because it's almost like Matt Smith's almost dismissive about what happened and the people who died. Yeah. Whereas when the Billy Piper character says that line, it makes you realise that he's not just dismissive and just a case of, oh, well, that's what it is, I moved on. He's forcing himself to try and forget. He doesn't want to remember. Mm. Yeah, and he's also got a, a huge worry on his mind because it's going to be more battles and more suffering because mm. he, he knows where he's going to die. And it's yeah. it, that's real heavy shit <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah and, then it, and then it's all cut through again by Matt Smith just starts laughing. He's a, and you get to did I miss something? Did I miss a funny thing? And Smith says, no, it's just occurred to me that this is what I'm like when I'm alone. <laughs> yeah we get a, I love what they do here as well with um with the, uh, the moment saying it's the same screwdriver same software different case 400 years apart mm. so John Hurt sets the subroutine going you know for dissolving the door sets it as a permanent feature for the screwdriver tenant checks his sonic it's still going smack Smith opens his up calculation complete that can dissolve the door 400 years in four seconds. We may have our differences, which is odd in the circumstances, but I'll tell you what, boys, we are incredibly clever. And it's like they're patting each other on the back, and then Clara just walks in. It was unlocked. Yeah. They just never bothered to check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. And that that little that sort of thing there as well, where the, the, the sonic screwdrivers are so many hundred years apart, but it's the same item. Mm. And, and the same as, like, the letter from Princess Elizabeth that gets left and reopened in present time and, and so on. There's a few moments in this episode that do this. The kind of passing of time that mm. they're jumping back and forth in that timeline with items around them, phone calls, people, letters, and so on. And they can sort of manipulate that timeline that they're in with certain items. So like you said, 400 years passing in four seconds. I get a massive kick out of that. I mean, time travel sort of stuff. I'm a, I'm a proper nerdy geek for all that sort of stuff, and yeah. that 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 kind of thing. I I love. I love that sort of doing something at a certain time. So a letter arrives in a hundred years later because you travelled in time and all this sort of stuff. I, I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's great. It's just really clever. It's really clever mm. writing and manip- you know manipulating of time. It's it's just brilliant. Um. But back to the story, we get um, Elizabeth to Elizabeth is back to reveal the evil Zygon plan. But we cut back, and Osgood finds uh, Kate Stewart in the uh, in the, you know the Zygon with all the mess on her face that you know should be yeah. kept alive to to keep the um, you know, to keep the duplicate going and all that and all the rest of it. They realise the creatures have access to the Black Archive. But back to Liz. So there's a lot of hopping about, and it's. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it can get quite confusing. They fit a edit. lot into this one episode. Don't let's be honest. Oh yeah, huge amount. Um, mm. But Elizabeth's there, basically saying that the Zygons lost their home in the fir- in the early days of the Time War. So that's another layer of guilt to add yeah. to, <laughs> to add to the Doctor, and they're looking for a new home. But Earth's not up to their up to their standards of comfort or technology yet. So they're going to ride it out in the uh, uh, in the paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the stasis cubes, essentially suspended animation. And this is, I love this bit. The doctor goes entirely in, goes all in on the fake Elizabeth, 
saying about the hair's rubbish, the eyes are too close together, the teeth, the, the teeth are wrong, the breath that could fell an ox, and all this, and the, <laughs> the stupidity of the of revealing the plan. It turns out she's the real Elizabeth. Yeah. She killed, she killed the Zygon, and the Zygons <laughs> never questioned that it wasn't their commander that survived. And yeah. she gives it all, it's, it's an arrogance that typifies their kind. And Clara says, "What Zygons?" She goes, "No men." Yeah, it's oh, it's great, isn't it? It's so good. And she's got that like a. Uh, it almost looks like an, a letter opener, but it's like a real sort of sharp, very thin but, knife, hasn't she? It's all tucked in. Little dagger. Yeah. Ah, oh, just brilliant stuff, man. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like this is what it gives us another great sort of brush with history moment mm. when she, she she uses that I may have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but at the time so did the Zygon. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh man, I just pop for anything like that. And yeah. <laughs> what's that? Should actually get. Um, the cutaway to the uh, the marriage scene. So, tenth Doctor is now married, Queen Elizabeth the first, and is is technically the King of England. And uh, there's a very prolonged, almost awkward, uh, kiss at the end of the ceremony. And uh, John Hurt just sort of leads to Matt Smith and just goes, "Is there a lot of this in the future?" And Smith's just like, "It starts to happen, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> oh, again, it makes you think how much has happened since when I suppose in the timeline. John Hurt was the doc, the war doctor was the doctor or whatever. Mm. And then the whole Eccleston thing, the whole tenant with Piper and, and, and all that sort of stuff that's happened. He's unaware of, and they, he sort of skipped a few doctors and he's talking to Matt Smith and they're sort of looking, Matt Smith's looking back on what's happened that he's not aware of yet. It's just lots of little loops and so on. But again, it's just so cleverly done just for a little line that is effectively a bit of comic relief. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then we find out what the Doctor did that pissed off Queen Elizabeth. Because he gets in the TARDIS, says he'll be right back, and he pretty much just fucks off. Yeah. <laughs> he ran out on Queen Elizabeth the first. Yeah. I wonder just if that's left. why she never married. I wonder if that's why she stayed, stayed pretty much stayed single, because she was actually already married and we didn't know about it. She was just married I, to an alien. I choose to believe the Doctor's real and that that is the exact reason why she never married. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go along with that, mate. I'm going to go along uh, with that. There's, there's another brilliant crossover bit as well now when they're all in the TARDIS and it's um, it's Tenant's TARDIS. So, you know, it's all dark and it's got the sort of the weird swirling support beams and all of that. And and uh, Smith calls it his grunge face. <laughs> but we get like, we get like a weird sort of staticky glitch. And then we've got the round things. Yeah. The original TARDIS. Because oh. the, the round things, I love the round things. What are the round things? No idea. Uh, so I can answer a bit of that. There's a Colin Baker episode that I caught completely by chance where this, he's trying to fix the TARDIS because he can't always control exactly where the TARDIS is going. And to do this, they turn... Like, if you imagine the control room, they go out a door. As you're looking at it, they go out a door to sort of like the top right of the, of the control room. Hmm. There's a little corridor, and there's more of the round things, as they refer to them as that they're open and there's just a shit ton of wires behind them and he's working away on these wires and things are shorting out and so on and, and that's what hmm. those particular round things are and they pop open like there's like a little cupboard oh nice but yeah that's, that's obviously going to be different you know for other occasions and other round things will be containing other round thing things I guess they won't all be the same hmm. I'm guessing but yeah on that occasion the two we had open were all little bits and bobs of motherboard, computer, and cables, and he was trying to fix the TARDIS. So. Oh, fair enough. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. 
Um, but the the looking to get back to the archive in the present day, but they can't because it's TARDIS proof. Uh, you've got the the Zygon uh, humans admiring the stuff in the Black Archive, saying they could conquer the Earth in a day with it. Uh, we get Kate, the real Kate Stewart walks in and says, "We're not armed. You can relax." And then the Zygon looks and says, "We are armed. You may not." <laughs> Kate's, <laughs> Kate says she's going to make herself comfy, and the Zygon says, says you don't mind if I do too, and uh, basically morphs into Kate Stewart again, at which point I got all yeah. proud of myself because I thought, I finally thought, to call that Zygon who turns into Kate Stewart the duplicate. Oh, <laughs> the duplicate. That's good. That is good. <laughs> I was I'm so happy that. with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having that. That's good. Yeah, so Kate and duplicate uh, sat opposite each other. There's a nuclear warhead under London that's designed as a fail safe if the black archive falls into the wrong hands it's voice activated so they can both start and stop uh, the detonation and you know they're countermanding each other and, and all the rest of it and uh, turns out there's a, a hotline straight to the TARDIS space time mm-hmm. telegraph a gift from the doctor to uh, to brigadier to the brigadier and he uh, the doctor's there saying please tell me you're not about to do something unbelievably stupid, tenant chips in saying it's a decision you won't be able to live with. Um, there's a great line. Say, so, can't we can't land the TARDIS? How, how can they do that? Uh, alien technology plus human stupidity. Trust me, it's unbelievable. It's unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we missed the bit where the compl- uh, where Matt Smith had compared the uh, the stasis cubes to cup of soup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you put something, put it, put yourself in there, and over time you come out. It, it, over time it comes out, you know, it comes out red. It's like like cup of soup. Yeah, and John <laughs> Hurst obviously just like yeah. what's a cup of soup. <laughs> yes, yeah, says we don't need to land, and he suggests using the stasis cube to put them to put them inside um, inside Gallifrey Falls. He's just like he looks at the stasis cube and says, "Cup of soup. What is <laughs> yeah. cup of soup?" <laughs> And again, it's so simple, and there's no reason why the War Doctor would know what a cup of soup is. I guess, yeah, you know? exactly. But, but it's so simple, but it's delivered so well, and the timing of it is so perfect. It just gets me, you know. The, the word cup. Of, he says the word cup of soup with such gravitas and meaning, yeah. and dignity in his cup of soup. <laughs> it's like I don't know what I'm talking about. What actually is? Oh, see, the, the company that makes cup of soups should have paid him to actually advertise cup of soups in yeah. that voice. <laughs> just that sound clip. Yeah, exactly. Just that. And just a picture of a cup of soup on the screen. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, and we get another... It's, there's so much good foreshadowing in this uh, in this show. I said before that that guy took a phone call and just cut away. We yeah. find out what the phone call is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, it's the doctor from the future calling this guy in the past, telling him to put the painting in the Black Archive. Yeah. Which, again, is a great use, great manipulation of time to, to advance a story and get people where they need to be. Again, it ticks so many boxes for me. I just love it. Yeah. I saw a little grin on your face when I started to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, again, amidst all this sort of fun and, 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 and you know, the bit of silliness with the cup of soups, we get another really dark bit where you've got Kate and Duplicate countermanding the you know the countdown again mm-hmm. and they say we only have to agree to live but we can only agree to die yeah it's like whew, jesus yeah. that's tense yeah <laughs> and it, it's, it's almost like they're saying about the 
the uh, the warhead going off and it's going to destroy London, mm. effectively killing many, 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 many people, obviously. But Kate is trying to say that it's worth that sacrifice to protect the rest of the planet. Yeah, And it's that sort of, I suppose, layering again, because the Doctor, in theory, had to make that decision to sacrifice the Daleks and the Time Lords in the Time mm. War to save everybody else in the universe, or, or however it was worded. It's almost like a, a... It sounds silly to say it's a scaled-down version, because we're talking about a whole planet and a massive city, but it is a scaled-down version of what the Doctor did mm. with regards to the Time War and his decisions. It's like, again, it's like just layer upon layer of throwbacks and crossovers and, and touches into other other stories, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, on, it's, it's masterful in the way it's done. Mm. So that sort of microcosm of, of what the Doctor had to do. You know, just two people at a table. Before we get to that, though, the, the whole negotiation side of things, the three Doctors have the best entrance into anywhere ever by using their sonic screwdrivers to propel a Dalek out of a painting and they're just strut into the Black Archive. It's look, looking like yeah. some sort of just co- really cool intergalactic ageing boy band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they walk in in slow motion. Um, and <laughs> But then they start, you know, Smith starts bollocking Kate Stewart. You know, about, you know, she's going to murder millions to save billions. And she asks him, how many times have you made that calculation? He says, once, it turned me into the man I am now. I'm not mm-hmm. sure who that is anymore. And then Tenant chimes in saying, you tell yourself you're justified, but it's a lie. Because what I did that day was wrong. And Smith's saying, because I got it wrong, I'm going to make you get it right. And there's this yeah. awesome bit where they both swing chairs around at the same time, both swing the feet up onto the desk. Oh, the and mirror, sort of, where they yeah. both... Oh, that, I wonder how many takes that took. Because it was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, I hope it wasn't even in the script from to do that. I hope they just did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the, again, another another callback that they put in about the memory memory wipes before, and mm-hmm. both doctors say the key to perfect negotiation, not knowing what side you're on. So for the next few hours, until we decide to let you out, no one in this room will be will, will be able to remember if the human or Zygon. They manipulate the set off the memory wipers, and boom. So they cancel yeah. the countdown with five seconds left. And, and the, it forces the, them to to find common ground, doesn't it? It forces them to find yeah. a solution. And it's, it's it's so simple, and such a simple message it's trying to convey, I guess. But it mm. works on so many different levels. It's so clever at the same time. Yeah, it really is. And it it plays out later on as well with, with Capaldi and the Zygon invasion and Zygon inversion two-parter. And, and it's something, something that he says in that one. So it, comes out, it all ends... Everything like that ends with people sitting around and talking. Yeah, you go through whatever, whatever war, anything like that, all the atrocities. It always boils down to people talking, and it, it's really good to see. But we, again, we get a bit of comic relief because we have the two Osgoods talking to each other. Yeah, um, I love the contemplation of it. Just if I'm a Zygon, all my clothes are Zygon. So what happens if I lose a shoe? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, that is the sort of question that, given enough time, I imagine you and me would start asking. You yeah. Know? And and when she pointed out, it's like, oh, yeah, that is strange. Yeah. But then we get a really, a really cool bit where you find out which one's which, because one Osgood starts coughing, and the Zygon, who had the inhaler, hands of the inhaler, and just it just says, you know, shh. Will not yeah. interrupt the negotiations, even though we know. And again, that plays out later on because you've got the two Osgoods and you don't know which one's human, which one's Zygon, and they're both working to keep the peace. 
Just yeah, really, it's... really clever little bit. Everything in this is just so clever and so well done. That's again a throw to back uh, to me. That makes me just think as well because they're not in charge. They're you know the one's a Zygon soldier, I guess. The uh, the other is an assistant to the head of unit, mm. and it's the the two in command that are arguing and threatening people dying, and it's the people underneath them that are actually getting along and don't want this to be happening. They want the negotiation to take place and, and the peace to occur, I guess. Again, it's always the way. Mm. Always the way. Um, I'm not yes. going to get too, poli- I'm not going to get too political, but certain world events at time of recording uh, spring to mind. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, we we actually get an, an interaction, a proper interaction with Clara and the war doctor as well. Uh, yeah. which is uh, is nice. It's it's just odd seeing uh, hearing Clara say that looking in, you know looking into his eyes he, he looks so much younger. Yeah, but yeah. the, the war doctor's just sort of marvelling at how the other doctors have managed the situation and and the man he'll become, I guess, and just how just how good they are at what they do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> Obviously, they they get to a, a state where. I suppose a truce is agreed for want of a better term and the negotiation is, is, you know, the negotiation goes well enough to secure people not dying, I suppose, to boil it down to the bottom, the bottom line, I guess, Dan. Yeah. Uh, the treaty signed Zygons will live on earth amongst, um, amongst humans and, and be given a, be given a safe haven, essentially. Hmm. Um, that's, that's what come, that's what calls back to the Capaldi uh, episodes. So yeah, it all, it all does work. It's kind of, but we leave it, around about this point because the moment has finally come where the war doctor's got to make his mind up and he gets whisked off um, before yeah. he can even finish his coffee <laughs> just as Clara <laughs> looks away and uh, he's back in the cabin and he's got what he wanted which was the big red button which I don't think we mentioned before he's, when he's looking at the internet no but he was yeah, yeah. Saying, why is it not just a big red button when he's got these contraptions trying to open yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. but we get another poignant sort of exchange between the doctor and the moment this time, they're saying you've seen the men you've become, and he says those men extraordinary, but they were you, and and Hurt gives one of the lines of the show and says, no, they were the doctor, and she the, the moment says you you were the doctor too, he says no, great men are forged in fire, it is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame, yeah, absolutely so love that line, especially delivered by John Hurt, yeah, um, just just brilliant. Um, and then this is a really nice exchange as well because the moment then says, you know the sound the TARDIS makes, that wheezing and groaning? That sound brings hope wherever it goes. And the War Doctor looks sort of wistful, doesn't he? He's like, I'd like to think it does. You know, because he knows he's about to do something horrible. Yeah. And then the moment says, to anyone who hears it, Doctor, anyone, however lost, even you. And you get you hear the TARDIS noise and then the Smith and Tennant there and you're just like, yes! Yeah. And <laughs> you know shit's going to go down. The two TARDISes next to each other, one looking a bit tatty and one looking a bit fake. Sun damaged, I suppose, would be one way to describe it, wouldn't it? The paint has faded. And and the other yeah. one next to it looking a bit fresher and a bit sharper and so on. I always like mm. seeing the comparisons. Because if you look from doctor to doctor, TARDIS to TARDIS, you don't always notice the big differences until they're literally right next to each other. Because ultimately, you're looking at the same blue box, aren't you? Yeah. But you look at the, each doctor's TARDIS, which was ever so slightly different. And I like looking at those comparisons as well. Yeah, I was like, you notice how much bigger it's getting as well, uh, yeah. the TARDIS, as it goes along. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just a real, like, uplifting moment. You're like, oh, God, something's going to happen. They're, they're going to 
stop it or do something. And you know, the tenants there saying these events should be time locked. We shouldn't even be here. Something let us through, and it's the moment who let them through. Yeah, because this, this weapon of great powers has has let them through, and and hurts trying to tell them to go back. You know, go back to your lives. Be the doctor. He couldn't be. Make it worthwhile. And Tennant and Smith both get the chance to effectively make peace with themselves. Saying, you know, saying all those years burying you in my memory, pretending you didn't exist, keeping you a secret, pretending you weren't the doctor when you were the doctor more than anybody else, because mm. the war doctor was the doctor on the day it wasn't possible to get it right. And they said, but this time you don't have to do it alone. And her, John Hurst stands there and he just sort of bows his head. And it's like the, he's been sort of ignoring the gravity of what he's doing. And he's, yeah. he almost gets choked up as he thanks them both. And I thought that was a really, really powerful moment. Because yeah. it's just, I think we've, we've all been at points in our lives where we'd, we've gone through something or something's happened or we've had to do something that we didn't necessarily want to or that was a really difficult situation. And it would have been so much easier if somebody was was there to share to share the load or to oh, yeah, you definitely. know at least just to, you know to help you through or at least understand so maybe i'm thinking too deep into it no no but i don't it's think just, I don't it's just it's just it's just a really cool thing that the doctor has been able to go back and effectively help himself at this point yeah and, and, and the way it, john hurt for, for want of a better term my, my limited vocabulary is going to fail me now but I'm going to enter into and dip my toe into the sort of wrestling terms i guess <laughs> the way john hurt kind of sells that moment yeah, is so it's very subtle. There's not a big, you know, a big dramatic kind of gesture. There's no huge level of over the top acting or anything like that. It's just just changing his body, body shape, his body, uh, his body attitude, I guess, his body language mm -hmm. makes such a difference from one moment to the next. Yeah, he sort of bows his head mm. as if he's going to start crying, and that little choke in his voice, and he just says, yeah. and all he can say is thank you. Yeah, and it's it's, it's fantastic. so simple again, so simple again, but so powerful. Yeah, really is. And another powerful bit is to follow that up with saying, "What what we do today is not out of here or hatred. It is done because there is no other way, and it's done in the name of the many lives that we are failing to save." And mm -hmm. you get a shot in that in that whole sentence, you know, that whole spiel. And Clara's just stood there silently crying. Yeah. She's she's got an opinion as well, isn't it? Yeah, she's got an opinion on this, but she knows his past. She knows the doctor's past, and she doesn't want to interfere until Matt Smith looks around and basically calls her out. He says, "You know what? What is it?" And she says to me, "You know, you told me how you wiped out your own people. I just never in picture, never pictured you doing it." Meaning the yeah. Matt Smith version of the doctor, and that's the this is the point where the moment starts projecting images of Gallifrey dying. And burning, and again, very, very powerful. Mm, Same the you know. kids running up, like images of children and and their teddy bears on the floor, uh, and, mm. and just and again, I, I keep using the same term, but it's such a it's such a simple image, a yeah. child running scared, and it, it's dropped its teddy, but not going back for it, and so on. But especially, you know. <laughs> You've got your nieces. I've got I've got you know, my kids and so on. You, you know how kids are attached to certain toys and and all this sort of mm. stuff. They have their favourites. It's such a powerful, striking image again, but yet so simple to get that emotion out of you. Yeah, 
It really is. And you get you get Clara again being sort of the voice of reason or the voice of Matt Smith's conscience, where she's saying, you know, look at the three of you. The warrior, which is John Hurt, the hero, mm-hmm. which is Tennant, says, and you, and Smith's questioning who he is, you know, who am I? Have you really forgotten? Yes, maybe, yes. She says, we've got enough warriors, any idiot could be a hero. And Smith, Smith is completely lost at this point. He doesn't know what to do. And she says, you do what you always do, what do what you've always done, be a doctor. He says, you know, you told me the name you chose was a promise. What was the promise? Makes makes the doctor recount it, you know, never cruel or cowardly, never give up, never give in. And it's all that sort of very powerful, poignant, again, gravitas of the whole situation. And and you can almost feel a weight almost descends on the scene Mm -hmm. at that point. The mood changes but, definitely. Yeah, it brings it brings the mood, darkens the mood so much. But it just makes the light bulb moment that comes up now all the brighter. Yeah, because this is a, this is the point. This is the doctor's lowest moment. He's going to burn two point four seven billion children because of, allegedly there's no other way. But then the moment brings them back, and they all start getting the same idea. So tenant saying, you know, we're going to change our personal history. And Smith's like, no, no, I'm, I'm suggesting something far worse. I've had 400 years to think about this, and I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so the big puts the big red button away. Hurt points out there's still a billion billion Daleks up there attacking. And tenant says, there's, but there's something they don't know. Smith says, if they did, they'd call for reinforcement. Says what? 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 What don't they know? Says this time there are three of us. Yeah. <laughs> Three doctors against a billion, billion Daleks. <laughs> yeah. And they all get the same idea at the same time. Um, and basically, they're going to. Um, oh, sorry, before we get to that, there's a great moment where John Hurt saying, She didn't just show me the, any old future, show me the exact future I needed to see. Bad wolf girl, I could kiss you. And Billy Piper's just sat there and just like, Yeah, that's going to happen. And Tennis <laughs> just like, Did you just say bad wolf? Yeah. <laughs> and it just gets glossed over. And it, cause, Basically, what they're going to do is get the stasis cubes and try and freeze Gallifrey, and then the Daleks will get caught in their own crossfire and uh, and destroy themselves effectively. And this this comes to effectively my favourite part of the whole episode, or second yes. favourite part of the whole episode, second favourite part of the whole episode, where that they basically say that they got that they're contacting the Gallifrey High Council to say they've got a plan. It's not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> We have, we have a plan, a fairly terrible one, that almost yes. certainly won't work. Yeah. <laughs> and they say that uh, basically three TARDISes aren't, aren't enough to, to pull this off. And they say, yeah. well, they've been planning for this for much longer. The calculations then, alone would take hundreds of years, yeah. but, the, but I started a long time ago. And then you see William Hartnell in the TARDIS, yeah. and, and then Patrick Triton and all the other TARDISes come flying. Oh, Absolutely the voice, the voice, fantastic! All the old voices, all the old faces, yeah. and then the, the clear. They even clip in Eccleston. I can't remember which episode it's from, but she goes for my next trick. Yeah, and that is di- <laughs> that is directly clipped from one of the old episodes yeah. that he was in. Yeah, I um, and it's just <laughs> I love it. I love it when the the like the the whatever war chief he is, or you know whoever's there says, "I didn't know when I was well off." All twelve of them. Yeah, thinking, oh, shit, twelve doctors. Here? No, sir. 
or 13 and you get the eyebrows. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and at the moment you're like, Oh my God, it's yeah. just, Oh my, it's incredible. I've, I've, my, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it on it. Yeah. Oh, and it, I love and it. In fact, the, the plan, of course, the plan is going to succeed. Of course it is. We know this. Yeah. And the Daleks blow the shit out of each other. And Gallifrey is suspended in this, this picture, which is then stored, uh, but, stored where done. But before that, we get the doctors doing their catchphrases. We get Smith with his Geronimo, oh, yeah. Tennant with his Alonzi. <laughs> and we get one more time, John Hurt, for God's sake, Gallifrey stands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as where Gallifrey is held, uh, we don't know. Mm. We don't know where it goes. We don't know where the painting's gone. Um, or where the stasis cube is or what, but wherever it is, they eventually uh, start using cracks in the universe to, uh, to try and communicate because we see all that play out uh, in uh, in Smith's previous episodes, you know, with the crack mm. in the wall from Amy's bedroom yeah. and the, the TARDIS blowing up and all of that and send it. In fact, even as far back as Tenant, where the, uh, they're in the time war and they're sending something back through. And, you know, it's the noise of the... Uh, noise of the time lord heartbeat for the master and all that but um yeah we don't know where it is but it seems to have succeeded and we're back in the uh back in the uh the under gallery having a cuppa and a chat yeah yeah and looking at this painting that they're unsure of the name of people think it's got two names don't they mm. gallifrey falls or no more yeah yeah but there's a there's a lovely moment um hurt calls it an honor and a privilege to have you know been with the uh, with smith and tenant and, uh, you know, it's all reciprocated. And he says, if I grow to be half the man you are, Clara, I should be glad indeed. It's just real nice. <laughs> it's a nice little touch. Um, and we get sort of an explanation of why the of why they don't, none of them remember this. It's because it's um, the time streams are out of sync. Yeah. So it'll affect the memories and, and all of that, which also ties in nicely to the way uh, sort of Eccleston was at the start of his series, you know, when it was all fire and thunder and mm. regret and all the rest of it. Um, there's a, a bit where they say it's, it's better to fail doing the right thing than to succeed doing the wrong. Yeah. That Hurt says, and then Clara just looks at his life and soul, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Hurt toddles off. Um, he's Can't in remember TARDIS. which TARDIS is his, can he? <laughs> yeah. He knows full well. Yeah. He just wanted the new he's shiny just, one. He's just trying it on, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, he flies off and he uh, he starts regenerating. Yeah. And he uses the uh, the William Hartnell line. Uh, wearing a bit thin mm. and then immediately goes funny again by saying, I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. <laughs> and as he starts, as he starts regenerating, we get a brief, brief hint of Eccleston's face. Right. Yeah. And, and the jacket as well. I know he's, he's not wearing the jacket, but I looked at the, as the re, he's regenerating and it almost looks, he's wearing a version of the black leather yeah. jacket as he's regenerating. It does. Yeah. Which was really, which was really yeah. nice. I love that. It's just a shame couldn't talk Eccleston back um, mm. into coming back for it fully. Even just a scene would have been great. Real he regrets it now, doesn't he? He said at like, um, yeah. Comic-Cons and stuff, he regrets not doing that. Yeah, but you know, he, he did what we, what he thought was best for him at the time, and you can never can never fall that too much. Um, mm. But we're back with the other two doctors, Tenant saying he won't remember it, so asks where they're going. You know, what, what's got Smith so scared? And he, Smith says that he's seen Trenzalore, he's seen where they die. And there's a real nice passing of the torch moment where Tennant looks at Smith and says, good to know my future's in safe hands. Yeah. And uh, it's saying, Trenzalore, we need a new destination. 
because I don't want to go. Another little throwback, isn't it? Throwback oh, to, to his last words and so on. <laughs> I can't. I lump in my throat tear in my every time I see that regeneration yeah, I mean, for Tennant. <laughs> I mean, Papa gets me. I love David Tennant as a doctor. So that was that's always a real touching moment whenever I see reruns of that regeneration. Mm. So. But then again, they're good to bring the funny back around a little bit because Smith looks at him and he always says that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sort of Clara gets uh, gets the impression that the doctor wants to be left alone. You know, she says you know she sees in his big sad eyes and all that, and it just drops. It just drops it in that the uh, an old fellow was looking for him. That I think it was the curator. Mm-hmm. Smith just sits there looking at the uh, the painting, saying, "I could do that. I'd be great I could curator. Be a curator one day I, when I, I retire. I'd be, I'd be the great curator. I could mm. retire and do that. I could retire and be a curator of this place." And we hear an off-screen voice, a very familiar. You know, I really think you might. And it's Tom <laughs> fucking Baker. I lost oh my, my god. I lost my shit the first time I saw this. Me and me. As soon as I heard that voice, I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like you know, yelling virtually. You know, it was just, oh. and just all the mannerisms and the, the bit that gets me as well. He's, he's he's talking and then tries to stop himself from talking by going Shh, with his yeah. finger as he's talking. Oh, it's just so good. It's just there's so many in this little exchange. There's so many great nods, and and again another passing of the torch, and all the rest of it. <laughs> Smith looks at him and says, I never forget a face. And he says, I know you don't. And in years to come, you might find yourself revisiting a few, but just the old favourites, eh? And it's just like, <laughs> oh. Everybody loves Tom Baker, in, yeah. you know, as the Doctor and all that. But also that that line we were saying earlier about the infinite regenerations and Capaldi cho- choosing that face. It's a great thing to say, you know, you could choose to look to be Tom Baker again. Obviously, yeah. that's going to be physically impossible, but it's really nice sort of addition into the whole sort of world and the, and the mythology of it. And, you know, it says, you're curious about this painting. I see. I acquired it in remarkable circumstances. <laughs> just, just drop it in. It's like, what do you make of the title? He says, which title? There are two Gallifrey Falls or no more. So you see, that's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. It's all one title, Gallifrey Falls, no more. Mm. Now, what do you think that means? And Tom Baker just sort of leading him into... <laughs> into the future yeah. you know, saying what he needs to do next Smith has the realisation that Gallifrey is still out there and he's just oh I'm only a humble creator and I'm sure I wouldn't know and he says well, then where is it where is it indeed lost like you said he does the show yeah um, and says things do get lost you know now you must excuse me and he just looks at him oh you have a lot to do and he says, is that what I'm supposed to do now go looking for Gallifrey and this is my favourite line from Baker in this whole thing. He says, oh, it's entirely up to you. Your choice. I can only tell you what I would do if I were you. And he sort of just says, oh, if I were you. Perhaps I was you, of course. Or perhaps you were me. And he says, congratulations. And they just shake hands. Yeah. And Smith says, oh, thank you very much. That that felt like a moment between the two. And we, we just happened to have a camera on them. It's so... Oh. Especially knowing that Tom Baker, he hadn't been back for... The five doctors, yeah, uh, and hadn't been involved in anything Doctor Who was on screen for so long to turn up out the blue like that when you didn't know it was going to happen and have that exchange. And oh, just and it, it comes across on screen for me how, how being the doctor is or having been the doctor, sorry, is, is so important for Tom Baker in this scene talking to another doctor and being back involved and so on. It just comes across so warm and so nice. And it's just, oh, it's just a fantastic moment, isn't it? 
It really is absolutely, and if you notice in the in the background as well as as Baker walks off, there's uh, there's round things on the wall. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we sort of go, we we go into the into the finale here, um, and it, I I love the way this wraps up, and it's just it's Smith narrating as he's walking through the tar as you just see his feet walking through the TARDIS and you know flashing. And Clara asks me sometimes if I dream. Of course I dream. I tell her everybody dreams, but what do you dream about? She asks. The same thing everybody dreams about, I tell her. I dream about where I'm going. She always laughs at that. But you're not going anywhere, you're just wandering about. That's not true. Not anymore. I have a new destination. My journey is the same as yours, the same as anyone's. It's taken so many years, so many lifetimes, but at last I know where I'm going. Where I've always been going. Home. The long way around. And it's just yeah. a moment filled with great hope that he can find Gallifrey again. And we've got a great visual of Smith walks out and through the TARDIS and John Hurt and Tennant both turn around and welcome him. But there's other figures there and it's obviously the other doctors. Yeah. And Smith takes his place at the, they're in sort of a V shape with William Hartnell at the back and Tennant, uh, Smith takes his place at the head of the, sort of the head of the, you know, the, right at the front and centre. Yeah. And it just zooms out and you've got all the doctors there. What, what a perfect way to end just the 50th anniversary. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's it's you, incredible. And I'm so glad you I'm so glad you chose this episode to be the one that we looked back on for, I suppose officially next week, but we've ended up looking back this week because I screwed up. Mm. Um because <laughs> I i I love this. I remember it, moments of it were good the first time I saw it, but I've never revisited it. And now I I would happily go and watch this again right now because I adored it that yeah. much. And I must also thank you, Dan. Because a great deal of that episode, or covering that episode today, was you talking through scenes and you describing scenes and speeches and and, and sort of uh, dialogue between the characters and so on. And me wanting to go watch it again is purely because of how fired up you've got me about the episode, <laughs> hearing you describe it. So I hope anyone listening also appreciates that that, that side of me getting to talk Doctor Who with Dan because I feel incredibly privileged when we have these exchanges and I can literally just sit back and listen to you a new who you, you talk all the time about how much you adore new who and you watch it all the time uh, and mm. so on hearing that passion come through especially on today's episode of, of the Doctor Who pod I feel incredibly lucky that I'm doing this project with you so I want to thank you for that today and in general as well mate so, uh, absolutely fantastic episode to watch back and I really enjoyed covering it for our podcast today with you as well Oh mate, that means the absolute world. Thank you so much. And I'm I'm same with you though. I, lo I love listening to particularly when we're talking about Sylvester McCoy as well, and how much you loved you know loved his doctor and all the rest of it. It it re it really is just so much fun. I think that there's nothing better in life than when people talk about talk about something that they're passionate about. And I'm really I'm so happy that it comes that it comes across that, that it's coming through as as we're talking now. And fingers crossed, it's coming through to uh, to the listeners as well. But yeah, I'm. I'm really happy that you loved it. This is one of my very favourite episodes, as you can probably tell. It's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Both doing the project and watching this episode. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm really happy you enjoyed it. And for for me, this is one of the best. This I can never give anything a ten out of ten, but this is like a nine point eight. Yeah, this is this is right up there, isn't it? This is one of the best. This, I, I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna put my, my neck on the line now. I'm gonna say this is if I had to pick my favourite Doctor Who stories of all time including mm. classic who i'm putting this right out there this may this may be in my top top four if not top four top three it's right up there i yeah. loved it that much 
Yeah, same. And especially when you couple it with um, the, uh, the the time of the Doctor as well that follows on. Mm, that's what I watched straight after, yeah. And I was getting confused about it earlier on. Yeah, <laughs> not like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's brilliant. And it, it's one that I go back to again and again. And in fact, yeah, it probably will be. It'll be in my top, definitely top five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just usurped by the episodes that I'll be picking for my ne- for my next two picks. Okay, be very interesting to know where we go next, but that won't be next week because next no. week, right here on the Doctor Who Pod, next week we're, it's almost like we're time travelers ourselves. Next week we will be covering what we should have been looking at this week, which is the Dalek Invasion of Earth, the William Hartnell story. I will rewatch it and make my notes again because I'm a freaking moron. And yes, I am going to use paper and pen again. And this time, just really, really look after it. <laughs> so tune in next week when we're discussing another modern Who story because Cy dropped his notes in a fire or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Before we depart, Dan, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you on the old interwebs and all the other content you are involved in, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Uh, you can also uh, you can also hear me on the UTT podcast, uh, Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, I do that with with my good buddy UTT Rob. And you can find our side project, uh, Unbooking the Tankatory, at UTT <laughs> Tank on Twitter, where we look at the uh, the wrestling career of Tank Abbott because we're just mad bastards and ended up doing a side project on a, <laughs> on, on WCW 2000s but it's a lot of fun uh, yeah. you can also hear both uh, me and Rob on the That 90s Wrestling Podcast playlist on Primetime Conversations uh, so you can find them on Twitter at Primetime Convos or go give a like, share, subscribe, all that jazz to the YouTube channel over there at Primetime Conversations Yeah, it's all great stuff as well. I love all those shows. UTT especially is one of my favourites. I adore it. It's brilliant. And it's just a really unique take on the stuff you're covering for the season two with regards to game shows and the rock and wrestling cartoon and all this sort of stuff. It's it's great. It's just brilliant hearing it all, you know? Cheers. Yeah, it's always anything that can fit into a first and last. So we're going to be, uh, just a sneak peek, some point in the future, we will be looking at the the Weakest Link episodes that they did in the, the early 2000s. Oh, well, you, had, you had Kane there in full gear, yeah. <laughs> getting ripped apart by Anne Robinson. Oh man, that's something to look forward to, right there. I'll tell you that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, and the group on Facebook you want to find is SJP All the Shows and Info. Following both of those, or following one of those, will give you links to all the shows I'm involved in whether that's this one here or Chain Wrestling that I do live on a Monday night with a podcast version coming out later in the week. Nitro Nights, looking back on WCW One Show at a Time, and The Waiting Room, a podcast about another time travel show, Quantum Leap from the 80s and early 90s, recording season two at the moment. It will be with you very, very soon. Really excited about that. But season one is still there as well. Links to all those shows available, as I said, at SJP Words. However, most importantly, you can follow this show at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod on Facebook and Twitter. Chuck us a follow. Let us know what you think. Obviously, we're fast accelerating through season one of this show. Season two, we have numerous ideas, guests coming on, uh, guests picking their stories they want to look at. Dan picking classic who, me picking stuff from new who, all sorts of stuff jumbling around, loads of ideas we're discussing that we'll probably forget about and just carry on talking amongst ourselves. But either way, <laughs> whatever happens, whatever happens, we will be talking nonsense about Doctor Who. 
Exactly. At the Doctor Who pod. Uh, Dan, I've had a fantastic time, mate, and I really look forward to finally, at long last, covering the Dalek invasion of Earth with you for next week's show. I cannot wait. It's been longer than waiting for Via Mahan to show up on Raw. <laughs> uh, I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Speak to you soon, bud. Take care. And to everyone else, thank you for listening. Tenteroids, where you're going? Oh, I'll never say nothing. Anyway. Good to know my future is in safe hands. Keep a tight hold on it, Clara. Mm. On it. <laughs> Trends are more. We need a new destination. I don't want to go. He always says that. Need a moment alone with your painting? How did you know? Those big sad eyes. I always know. There was an old man looking for you. I think it was the curator. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I could retire and be the curator of this place. You know, I really think you might. I never forget a face. I know you don't. And in years to come, you might find yourself revisiting a few, but just the old favorites, eh? You were curious about this painting, I think. I acquired it in remarkable circumstances. Eh? What do you make of the title? Well, which title this too? No more. Or Gallifrey Falls. Oh, you see, that's where everybody's wrong. It's all one title. Gallifrey falls no more. Now, what would you think that means? Eh? The Gallifrey didn't fall. It worked. It's still out there. I'm only a humble curator. I'm sure I wouldn't doubt. Then where is it? Where is it indeed? Yes. Lost. Shh. Perhaps things do get lost, you know. Now you must excuse me. Do I? Mm. Is that what I'm supposed to do now? Go looking for Gallifrey? Well, it's entirely up to you. Your choice. Eh? I can only tell you what I would do. If I were you... Oh, if I were you... <laughs> oh, perhaps I was you, of course. <laughs> oh, perhaps. 
you a me. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Or perhaps it doesn't matter either way. Who knows? Who knows?